This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Oh, hey! Hey, y'all! I didn't even know y'all were here. Thank you so much for joining me in my golf game. Um, you saw what a bad golfer I, I am. That's kind of reality in real life. Noah, thank you so much. Hey, give it up for Noah this morning. You know, it's so much fun just every once in a while to get in and play a little bit of golf and, and to do it like on, on the Oculus in virtual reality. It almost feels like reality. I thought like I was on the back nine really messing up my shots. It just felt real. And the golf game is not the only game where it feels so real. I mean, when you're playing like the Star Wars games in Oculus in VR, Darth Vader is six feet, seven inches tall. And when he walks up to you in 3D and talks to you, it's a little bit unnerving. Like in, in Vader, Immortal, or Immortal, it is scary. And whenever you're climbing in virtual reality, like rock climbing, and you look down from the cliff you're hanging on, you know, from your fingers on, and you see a 2,000-foot vertical drop below you, and it looks real, it is really scary. Virtual reality has come a long way from what it was when they first created it. It feels real, and sometimes Sometimes it's nice to escape into virtual world from real world. Sometimes it's really good to get in there and play the games and, and live the adventures and be there where it feels scary, but I know reality is safe. And I can, hit, I can hit a terrible golf shot, I can take that hole over again, and it doesn't worry me. It's sometimes it's nice to escape into virtual world out of real world. The challenge is that's oftentimes what we want to do with our faith. Like you have your Jesus world, and you have your real world. And sometimes it's nice to keep those things separate. You can separate out of the, the pressures of your everyday life. You can go into, into Jesus world and sing the songs on Sunday morning and amen the sermon. Hint, hint. And you can just, you know, fellowship, getting a hot dog, a, you know, God and dogs outside today, play a little cornhole. You know, for Mother's Day we gave flowers. Today for Father's Day we're giving out hot dogs. Help yourself on the way out. We call them breakfast sandwiches at 8.30. It worked. But, but here's the thing, you know, it may feel good to, to come to worship on Sunday morning and escape the pressures of the real world. Or, or maybe go to your life group whatever night your life group meets. And while you go to your life group house, back at your house, you leave laundry and kitchen work and your kids all back there. It just feels good to escape all that for a little bit in Jesus' world. But you know what happens? It's like virtual reality. When I take the headset off, I have to go back to my real world where, where it was real people and real pain. And real problems, and real parties, and real paychecks, and also real work. You know, when you when you come out of Jesus' world, you go back to your real world. And for some of you, you don't have any problem keeping those two things separate. But what if they're not meant to be separate? What if Jesus' world? What happens when you're? I mean, can you can you imagine? By the way, if you didn't separate them. Can you imagine if you, you took Jesus' world back into your friend's world? Can you imagine if, if you took Jesus' world back into your work world? If you took Jesus' world back into where you live every day world? Some of you don't have to imagine that. You've done that, and you know the effects of that. You know the results of that. And it's hard, and it's hurtful sometimes. But what if they're never meant to be separate? What if, what if your Jesus' world was intended to collide with your real world? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes today. But first, let me just say welcome back into week number three of our message series for the summer called Game Plan. So we are hopefully uh, 
conveying to you, communicating to you that Jesus is the best game for your best game plan for your life. Look, you're going to live life. And, and, and your goal of living life is to get to the end of life and then be like who you want to be and accomplish what you would accomplish. But to get to where you want to be at the end of life, you need to have a game plan to get you to the end of the game, right? And, and, and we want you to know that Jesus is the best game plan for your life. In fact, two weeks ago, we looked at the, the game of life, and we talked about the fact that at the game of life, the board game, there's a place you need to get to, and whoever gets there the most money worth the most wins. But we looked at what Jesus said wins the game. He said, um, I'll, I'll point to the end of the game. Here, here's the end game. Here's the win for you. And it's not, it's not a place. It's a relationship. Like when you end this game of real life in a right relationship with the Father, you win. But if you don't, you don't win, you lose. So Jesus said, hey, here's, here's the end game for you. And by the way, I'm the only way to get there. So if you want to win, Jesus is your best game plan. And last week we looked at something that all of us face called trouble. Right? And, and, and trouble is something no matter who you are, where you come from, what you do. You will always have trouble. The question is not, when you know, will I have trouble? The question is, what do I do with it? And Jesus last week gave us a four-step game plan to handle all the trouble that comes into your life. Jesus is just the best game plan, period, for your life. And today we're going to do, we're going to talk about uh, this, this the kind of virtual reality aspect of where, you know, virtual reality is here, real world reality is here, but in our terminology, Jesus world and real world, Jesus life and by real life. And we're going to see why sometimes we do separate those, separate those things, but hopefully we're going to find today that they're never supposed to be separated. So the, to kind of get this on, on our radar, let me take you back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. And if you don't know that storyline, uh, let me fill in the gaps for you. So when Jesus was about 30 years old, he came public with his ministry. He started, you know, preaching and teaching and doing miracles. And when he first started out, people like whatever town he was in, people were like, oh, I've, I've never seen that before. Nobody can do that. I've never heard someone teach like you teach. And so they gathered around Jesus and then he got more popular. And it wasn't just people in the town he was teaching in. It was people from the towns around there gathering around Jesus. And pretty soon, people from all over the countryside came. And people all over the country, wherever Jesus went, people gathered in the thousands and tens and tens of thousands to, to witness and experience Jesus. And this went on for about three years. When Jesus was about 33 years old, he knew that that was the time. He knew what was about to happen. See, when Jesus gathered all these people around him, there were a lot of people that went out and just, you know, they were like, I want to see what he does or listen to what he says. Other people took a step closer and they said, I, I want to I become more like you. I want to begin to follow you. And so when he was in their area, they would go see him. And then other people were like real roadies and they would follow him all over a region. But other people, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they, they left a lot behind and they would follow Jesus. And out of all these disciples, Jesus chose 12 men, and we call those 12 the 12 apostles. And they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They left behind uh, their, their old lives. They left behind their business. Some left behind some family. They, they left everything behind to follow Jesus. And then one day, one of those 12 said, I'm going to betray him to the Jewish leaders. See, the Jewish religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. Jesus was stealing the people out of their, out of their church. Jesus was uh, leading them a different way. And understand that these religious leaders, they were just trying to do their job. Their job was to care for the people of Israel. 
the best way they knew how to keep them in relationship with God. Now, they had a warped sense of what that was, but when Jesus came along, he was a radical and a rebel to them. And they said, he has to go. And when Jesus began declaring that he is God, incarnate on earth, that was the final straw, that was heresy, punishable by death. So they began to plot Jesus' death. But they said, we need a man on the inside, and Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, was like, I'm your man. And so... Judas arranged a plan with the Jewish leaders that he would turn Jesus over to them and they would set a trap for him. So Jesus knew all about this. When, when that trap was about to happen, it was the night he was to be arrested. Uh, Jesus was meeting in Jerusalem with the 12 apostles and they were in what's called the upper room. And that was just a room on the second floor of a house they rented for that evening. So they're having a special meal. They're up there. And sometime during that evening, Judas Iscariot goes out to, to begin to put into process the plan they had to trap Jesus. But the other 11, they hung out with Jesus. And during the course of that evening, Jesus talked to them about what was going to happen. And then he began to pray. And he prayed about himself. And he prayed over them. Praying for himself, he said, I'm, Father, I know I'm not of this world. I'm coming back to be with you. May everything that happens bring glory and honor to you, Father. But then he turned from praying to himself and he began to pray over his followers, these now 11 apostles. And this is what he prayed. And this is recorded for us by a man named John. And John was one of the guys in the room. He's an eyewitness, ear witness account of what Jesus prayed. So here's what Jesus prayed as John recorded it for us. Jesus prayed, but now I'm coming to you, Father, Heavenly Father, and these things I speak in the world that they, his followers, may have my joy fulfilled in them. Now, that's, that is so loaded with good stuff. I want to stop there and just break it down for a moment. Jesus, by this time, has already talked about how, because his followers have followed him, how the world hated them. By the way, when we say the word world, when Jesus is talking about world there, it means uh, the people of the world who don't bring honor to Jesus. It means the culture of the world. It means the ways and the will of the world, those things that stand in opposition to God's will and God's ways. And the people that live according to the world, those, that's the world. And because these followers of his had taken like their lives and set their old lives down and picked up this new life that Jesus invited them into, the world hated them for that. Like, some of their old friends hated them for that. We're like, the old Jew better. I'm not going back. The world hated them for that. So, so Jesus says, hey, I know the world hates them because they've made, they've made this, this transition into this new life. And isn't that a compartmentalizing, like, justification for your faith? Isn't that why you, you, you separate Jesus' life from real life at times? Because you know that if you took your Jesus life back into like the worldly life, that the world would hate you. And you don't want your friends to hate you. You don't want the, your old, old ways um, and, and the, the old way you used to live and those people to hate you. You, you want to you be a popular kid at school. You want to be among the who's who in your workplace. You don't want the old world to hate you. And so it's, you found an easy way not to let that happen. Hey, I'll keep my Jesus life here and I'll keep my, my real life here. And so you can, you can compartmentalize that. But did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus, Jesus was speaking these things. He said, in the world, not separate from the world. Not in some safe, virtual Jesus world. But he said, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm speaking these things, Father, in the world. 
Because this is where these guys lived. This is where these guys did real life. Listen, I know that we tend to immortalize the apostles. We build magnificent churches, magnificent basilicas, and name them after these guys. Like, I've walked through St. Peter's. I've walked through St. Paul's, both in Rome. And they're amazing. You walk up in front of those huge, magnificent churches, and you feel like this big, because they're powerful and grand and majestic. And you walk inside, and it's like, you can fit ten football fields in here. They're just that magnificent. And we immortalize them so much that sometimes I think we forget who they were. These guys, who these magnificent Gothic chapels and churches were named after, these guys smelled like the docks. These guys were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector, for crying out loud. Nobody loved Matthew, the tax collector. But he's one of them we named churches after him today. Listen, these guys were just real guys living in the real world. They were a bunch of young adults. I don't know if you know this or not, but you know when you when you look at some like Renaissance artist pictures of the apostles, they're like fifty and sixty years old. They weren't when they're following Jesus. They were teenagers, at best early twenties. These were young guys. They argued with each other. They made mistakes. They messed up. That's who these guys were living in the real world. Sometimes we forget that. But Jesus didn't. He's like, hey, I know you live in the real world. I've, I've lived with you in the real world. I'm leaving you now to go back to my real world, but you're staying in this real world for a little bit. So right here where you live, I'm speaking these things into your real world. And look what he said this would do to them. Listen to this. He said that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. When you allow your Jesus life and your real life to be separate, do you know what you count on for joy in your life? The world's joy. And if you know anything about the world's joy, you know a couple of things. It doesn't last. It ebbs and flows. It is contingent on your context. If, if the vibes are good, your joy is good. When the vibe goes bad, your joy goes bad. What Jesus offers you, his joy is an entirely different joy. The joy that Jesus gives, the joy, Jesus, the joy that Jesus will fill you with doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't go with the vibe or the context. It is real joy that lasts no matter what context you're living in. Jesus knew that they needed to know that kind of joy. And he said, hey, I'm speaking this into your real life world so you know about me on the good days and the bad days, and your, my joy will fulfill you. When you allow your Jesus life and your real life to, to collide and, 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 go, and go together, man, you get the loaded joy of Jesus in your life. When you let them collide, you experience Jesus' joy. The world can't come close to what Jesus' joy offers you. So Jesus spoke his word into their real lives in the middle of the real world. Let's keep reading verse 14. He continues praying. I have given them, my followers, your word, Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So again, when these, when these men made the decision to follow Jesus. They, they took their old lives and left them behind. There were things in their old lives, things they, they believed, things they did, places they went, people they hung out with, that did not fit in Jesus' world. And so what they did is they left those things behind it because they did, the world hated them. He's already talked about that. They wanted to fit into what Jesus was calling them to. Listen, when you receive the word of God, 
When you say yes to following Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, there are going to be some things in your life you have to leave behind. There are going to be some people and some places and some practices that you cannot take with you into Jesus' world. Not yet. Jesus will work on this with you. It doesn't have to be like all at once. But you've got to give Jesus a chance to begin showing you what things need to come out of your life so you can begin walk with Him the way He wants you to. Listen, things begin to shift in your life. Your focus begins to shift. Your loyalties begin to shift. Your priorities begin to shift. The places you go, the things you do, the music you listen to, the shows you stream, the games you play, the way you talk, the way you treat people, all of that begins to change for the better when you begin to follow Jesus. There are things in your life that don't fit the way Jesus calls you to live, and you have to leave those things behind. Things you would never bring out in front of Jesus. Things you would never let Jesus see. As he shows you what those things are, and he will because he loves you. Listen, Jesus, Jesus doesn't take things out of your life because he wants to be mean, because he doesn't like you. He removes things from your life he knows they're not good for you. He loves you enough to do the hard stuff in your life. And so he will remove those things. He will show you what those things are. And when you do, uh, you become a new you, and there will be some people from, the, from your old life that will hate you because you made those changes. That's what he's saying there. Let's keep reading verse 15. He says, and this, y'all, this is the crux, friends. This is the crux of the message this morning. Listen carefully to this next verse. He continues praying. My prayer is not that you, Father, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Listen, Jesus' goal is not to remove you from the world. Instead, his goal is asking the Father to protect you from the evil one who is in the world. That's the devil. Jesus talks about him. Jesus names him. The devil, Satan. Remember last week we talked about the game Trouble? And we said Trouble's a fun game and you're going around the board and you're doing the pop and you move that number of spaces, get all your pieces moving. But while you're moving around, you've got the other players in the game who are coming after you, right? And their goal is to land on your space. You get right in your space. When they land on your space, they knock you out of the game and you take that piece and put it back and start where it is lifeless and useless until you find a way to get it back into the game, back in the game again. Jesus says, hey, when you're playing this game of real life, there, there are only two players coming after you. They, they may have other people they use in the process, but there are only two players coming after you. Satan and Jesus. Because there are only two kingdoms in this world. It may feel like there are more, but there are only two kingdoms in this world. Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. And you need to know that. And so when, when Satan comes after you and Jesus comes after you, they both want to land in your space. But they have very different goals for you when they do. Satan wants to to knock you out of life. He wants to destroy you. But Jesus wants to give you life and get you home for the win. And when you're playing in both worlds, you're opening yourself up to both of those results. And be very careful about which world you allow yourself to live in and which one influences you. Whichever one you give more access to your life from is the one that will, will impact you and influence you more. So be very careful which one you're playing with. When Jesus described Satan, he said he's like a, a, a hungry lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy you. Jesus wants to give you life. Jesus knows this. So we pray that your Heavenly Father will protect you from the enemy, from, the, from Satan. But he doesn't do that by taking you out of the world. 
Listen to what he does instead. Verse 16. They, my followers, are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is saying, hey, these followers of mine, they're not, they're not of this world. They've made the shift. They're not perfect. I love, I love, I love again how the Bible shows us over and over again how not perfect Jesus' followers are. But Jesus says, but they're mine now. Like their goals are my goals. The direction is my direction. Their, their will is aligned with my, with my will. Their goals match mine. But the enemy is after them. So Jesus says, sanctify them, Father. And the word sanctify means to purify. It means to, to set apart. Jesus says, hey, I want my, my followers to be so much like me that they, they're not of the world anymore. Father, continue that good work in them. So listen, Jesus doesn't want to take you out of the world. He wants to change you in the world, and that's different. He's asking the Father to keep working in your real life so that you're able to stand against the temptations the devil throws at you. He's still going to tempt you, but now you have a new strength to resist him. But this isn't just for your benefit. Listen to this. Last verse, verse 18. Jesus prays, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent my followers into the world. How many of you, how many of you have ever heard or even used the phrase, in the world, but not of it? You ever hear that? Okay, if you've been in church for half a minute, you've heard that. Because we Christians, we love to throw that around. You know what scripture that comes from, by the way? It doesn't. It's not scripture. It's something we made up. We wear like a badge of honor. This sounds good. In the world, but not of it. Now you can find it kind of alluded to, like in the passage we're reading today. But that's, that's not a scripture. You know, the, 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 that phrase. But we wear it like it is. Like, hey, I'm in the world, but not of it. But let me tell you what it means every time, almost every time a Christian says that. Christian says, hey, I'm in the world, but not of it. Which means, I don't do the bad things those bad people do. I'm not bad like they are. I don't live where they live, and I won't live where they live, because I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. And we find ourselves as Christians saying, what I'm going to do instead, I'm going to just go to my Jesus world over here, and escape that world, and be safe over here. And Jesus, in fact, I love it so much over here, I just feel good over here, I'm going to stay here until you get back. Until Jesus gets back? What about what Jesus said before he left? He said, I'm sending you where? Into the world. But what we do so often as followers of Jesus is, hey, I'm in the world but not of it. And we draw a boundary line at the edge of the world. I'll go right up to it and I'll holler into it and I'll look into it. I might reach across into it once in a while, but I'm not going to go there because I'm in the world but not of it. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not what I meant. In fact, it's almost the exact opposite. I am sending you into the world. Listen, when I was in college, I was running... Uh, track for our college, and, and we were at a, at a big meet. It was, it was an invitational, so lots of different colleges and universities were, were there for this track meet. And I was warming up for one of my races, and I'm going around the track, and I get to the back side of the track where the throwers are, and there is a, there's a beautiful girl back there. It wasn't Marsha. She's heard the sermon. It's okay. This is before I met my wife. But she was beautiful, and, and she was a javelin thrower for, for one of the other schools. I thought, she, she is she's pretty hot. And so I did what any red-blooded American college guy did. I ran another lap. And I wanted to see her again, and, and she was even more beautiful the next time. So I went and ran another lap. I was so warmed up from my race. It was great. But I just kept running laps because she was so attractive. And I thought to myself, she, she's so attractive. I, I'm going to try and meet her because her school, I can see her school is not far from my school. 
and maybe we could, you know, maybe we could start dating. And so I made up my mind that before the meet was over, I was going to meet her and I was going to get her phone. Because back then, I was like, you get phone numbers. I could just go to a payphone and call. You know, that's what we used to do. I'll get her phone number. Maybe I'll call her. Maybe we can just, you know, go on a date sometime. And so later on, later in the day, I, I'm walking by, by, by the uh, another part of the track. And there she was walking. I'm looking at her. She was so beautiful. And, and I thought, this is it. The moment I'm going to go, I'm going to meet her. And she turned and she looked at me. And she had a side shoe in. Tobacco, loosely, dripping down a little bit, spitting it out. Oh, oh, it was terrible. She was beautiful. And that just, I know it's shallow, but it just ruined it for me. I couldn't even talk to her. I just walked right by her. I didn't ask her name or number, no nothing. I just kept walking. And it, what it did reminded me of this saying. I knew it was a kid. Maybe you remember this um, old saying. It was funny. I used to laugh at it. It said, I don't smoke, drink, or chew. And I don't date the girls that do. I, and, and, and I never thought I'd see that in reality. But there it was, this beautiful girl. Like, oh, she's chewing and spitting. And like, that was it for me. But a lot of times that's how we live as Christians, right? I don't smoke, drink, or chew. And I don't connect with the people that do. And Jesus is like, that's, that's so far from the goal. I never intended you to live two separate lives, Jesus' life and real life. In fact, I want those two to collide. I want, you, I want those two to collide. Jesus doesn't give you the option not to go into the world. You know, Jesus, Jesus prayed, Father, as you sent me, I am sending you. And Jesus modeled that for us. Listen, when Jesus, before he came into this earth, he was living in heaven, the beauty, the wonder, the, the grandeur, the magnificence of heaven, and he shed all that left and all behind to come into the filth and the devastation and the trials and, and the ugliness of our world so that he could win us to himself. As, Father, as you sent me from there to here, I'm sending them from here to there. Jesus never expects you, never asks you, never wants you to live two separate lives. I know it's so much easier to hide away in my Jesus world, but he doesn't give you that option. When he prayed, I'm sending you into the world, he just made the world your target, not a boundary. It's a starting line. Hey, you're a person of faith, you're following me, now, now get in there so that you can win them to me. There's no such thing as Jesus' world and real world. Listen, your faith world is supposed to collide with your real world. Your Christian faith is meant to collide with your non-Christian family and your non-Christian friends and your non-Christian classmates and your non-Christian workers. Your Christian faith is supposed to impact everything you do in your real world. You, you, don't, you don't turn around or turn away from the world because of your faith. You prepare for the world because of your faith. Like your Christian faith, it, it should, it's got to collide with your, with your streaming and your gaming and your movies and the way you dress. Your Jesus world should collide with your real world every single day. When you don't allow those two worlds to collide, you're robbing Unsaved people of meeting Jesus through you. What do you think? You can stay over here in your Jesus world and they'll be over here in the real world looking and say, oh, I want a piece of that. That's not what they're doing. You've been trying that for years. How's that work for you? How many, how many people you want to Jesus because they saw you living such a holy life? I can tell you how many you want. Zero. It's an easy number. No one's coming to you and say, oh man, you're, you're so good at following Jesus. I never knew him, but I want, I want that. But when you begin to enter their world, then they see Jesus in you. 
in a real way. And that's when they come to Jesus in their own faith. God wants to use you, but as long as you keep these worlds separate, you will never, never, never win people to Jesus in your little Jesus world. And it, listen, it's not just about winning other people. When you keep them separate, you're not letting God work in your life like he wants to. you got a foot in both camps, he's like, I don't play that game. I need you all in. And so he'll begin to show you, like maybe one thing at a time, what you need to drop off, what you need to drop off. Lifting your foot out of the real world and into his world, he can prepare you to go back and live among people who need to show him to them. Listen, anybody can get in here Sunday morning, right? Anybody can come in and sing the songs. Clap. By the way, never follow my clapping. Ever. I am so rhythmically challenged. I can't clap and sing. I can't clap and not sing. I can't do either. So if you see me clapping, I'm just joyful noise. Don't ever follow my clapping. But anybody can come in and sing and clap and, and, and amen the sermon. Hint, hint, you know. Anybody can do that on Sunday morning. But they go out and live the rest of the way, the rest of the week any way you want to. Jesus' world, real world. They're meant to collide. It's hard, I know, but it's necessary. Jesus intends the collision to happen. Again, there are only two kingdoms in this world, Satan's and Jesus. And whichever one you feed is the one that's going to grow in you. Some of you have been trying to live in both for a long, long time. And so maybe today, it's time to make a decision. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.